Hey, what's up? This is Mike Wistain. You're listening to Iron City Rock. All right, Pittsburgh! You wanted the best! You got the best! Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John. In episode 166, we have two guests joining us. We have from the Bombastic Meat Bats, we have Jeff Coleman joining us, and also Mike Mushock of the band Stained. Stained will be in town for the Uproar Festival on the 31st. Features Godsmack, Shinedown, uh, POD, Stained, Fozzy in this moment, and many, many more. So you want to check that out. It's at the First Niagara Pavilion. Uh, you can find all the details on our website at ironcityrocks.com. So let's play a little stain, and then we're going to talk to guitarist Mice Musha. All right, sing it! from the band Stain, we have Mike Mushok. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. Yourself? I am doing fantastic. Um, I guess one of the things that I've, I've kind of wanted to ask you over the years, um, your relationship with Tony McAlpine and how that came to be. Um, oh, how did, how... Uh, sure. Um, he was from Springfield, Mass., and I lived in the, the town over. And it's kind okay. of funny yeah. My mother was... Uh, my mother was a, a math teacher, and he was in her freshman like algebra class, and she knew him. And there was an, an article in the paper about this guy that was playing Eruption and Spanish Fly in their set, and he was giving lessons at a local music store. And I was a huge Van Halen fan, and uh, mm-hmm. I started taking lessons from him. And uh, within six months, our lessons came became like these guitar duels where we were trying to like out solo each other. Oh. And, you know, we kind of even became friends, like, he'd come over to my house, I'd go over his, and, you know, um, so, you know, it kind of developed into, you know, it was a student teacher for sure, I mean, because the guy's incredible, um, oh, yeah. musician, but we definitely became, you know, friends also. Okay, so this, would, would this have been kind of during the time when, like, you know, he kind of went through the whole shrapnel, like, edge of sanity? He, he, no, it was right, it was right before, in fact, okay. while we were taking lessons, he, he ended up leaving uh, to move to California to do, you know, the first album, Edge of Insanity, um, for Shrapnel. Okay. So is, was, is, somebody knew, is somebody who knew him, 
uh, that well. Piano or guitar, where do you think is his, his best talent? Because I, I, I could flip a coin. Sure. No, you know, you probably could because, I mean, uh, I mean, I've sat in a room with him playing piano for, you know, hours and, you know, my jaw on the ground. So, and I've done the same with guitar. I've heard him listen to a piece of music and play it back for you, note for note, after listening to it like twice. So he's just an incredibly talented, uh, you know, person. Yeah, amen. Um, Now, you mentioned, obviously, Van Halen. I mean, were those kind of your... Is, is that kind of where your influence as a young player? Were you into kind of the, the you know the Shredders, the Jason Beckers, Marty Freemans of that era? Was that kind of your bread and butter? Um, you know, it really kind of started with like Jimmy Page, Jimi okay. Hendrix, that kind of stuff. You know, and yeah, progressed Eddie, you know Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes. Um, not so much you know Becker, like Paul Gilbert was there. Ingve was, I mean, still to this day. I mean, I listen to him and he blows me away, and mm-hmm. you know, so I. Uh, there's just so many great guitar players, you know, and then, you know, whether it's, you know, Aldi Mule, Alan Holdsworth, yeah. Scott Henderson, that type of stuff, you know, Eric Johnson, um, just so many, you know, just great players and yeah. just musical, you know, players. So, um, yeah, the list is, is pretty long. Yeah, almost endless. Now, as a, as a guitarist, I mean, when I think of your name, I kind of inevitably think of the baritone guitar. And how did how did your right. use of a baritone guitar kind of come to play? Kind of got, you know, uh, a little tired of soloing all the time, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Corn uh, came out, they were playing seven strings. We were playing, so, I mean, Stain was, you know, a part cover band because, you know, Springfield in 94, 95, you had to be if you wanted to get a gig. Sure. So, um, you know, I started just kind of, I never had a seven string, but I started, you know, uh, tuning guitars, put a low B string on, lost the high E string, and, you know, started writing Spain songs in a bunch of different tunings, you know, playing around with it. And, uh, you know, kind of, kind of really forgot all the theory and stuff that I had learned and just started, you know, writing riffs that I thought sounded cool. And uh, um, and that's really kind of how it started. We went to record a demo uh, right before we got signed, and I, you know, I had this old Ibanez artist that I had set up, you know, uh, you know, B to B. We actually tuned down to A, and uh-huh. uh, we're having we're having a tough time with intonation and tuning, you know, while recording. And yeah, but I showed up with a baritone guitar, and that was. Really, when I switched and I've been as at the time, I was I, I ended up getting endorsed by Ibanez. They started making them for me, mm-hmm. so um, which led you know Alec Paul Richard Smith, and they have the signature model. Yeah, which is a beautiful guitar, and you know, as a, as an owner of a Paul Reed Smith SE, I can't say enough about the quality of the instruments. You know, even though they're import guitars, fabulously made. I uh, mean, I play the ones that right off the shelf. You know what I'm saying? And I'll tell you, we even in the last record. Um, I had a, a bunch of baritone guitars. I mean, custom shop guitars from mm-hmm. them. And the main guitar they recorded almost the entire record with was just one of mine off the shelf. And for some reason, it sounded a little bit better than, than everything else. But, I mean, there was nothing done to it. It was just a stock, my model guitar. Now, as far as the pickups, do they alter? Or are those kind of the standard sort of, you know, six-string guitar pickups? Or do they use something specific for it because it is a baritone? I just use like a uh, kind of a, a PAF type of pickup. I don't, okay. I don't really like. I, I've tried some of the you know higher gain pickups, and I just think that it, it breaks up a little bit too much. Yeah. You know? so it's just really, 
kind of a standard PAF, you know, type of pickup. Great, great. Um, now, you guys have just put out uh, the, the CD, DVD, Blu-ray thing with the live from the Mohegan Sun. Um, it had to be a thrill for you doing that so close to home. I mean, was that was that done intentionally? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, Mohegan Sun has really kind of become, you know, our our you know uh, hometown type of gig. You mm-hmm. know, and plus, honestly, the casino sometimes that's just such a great place. I mean, it, it's really become a, a a nice venue, I think, for people to even go see a show. I mean, obviously, the festivals are great because you can go see a bunch of bands. But yeah. on the flip side, the casino is cool because people can go and they can make a night of it. You can get a room, you can stay, you can gamble, you can eat, you can hang out, and go see a show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know, like, a bunch of my friends, you know, they all get together and go down there and, you know, and hang out for the night or whatever, and, and it's 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 a good time. Yeah, was it um, was it particularly, I mean, stressful, I mean, doing a live when you know you're doing live? Well, this was done in a single night, I'm assuming? Correct. Yeah, I and mean, is that, does that make you guys kind of little sweaty palms when you know you're going on stage and you've got a kind of one shot to become immortal? Well, right, yeah. <laughs> That's never happening. But, uh... The, uh, you know, the, the cool thing, well, I should say, the thing about it was that, you know, it was cool that it was a hometown show, and that's mm-hmm. where we filmed it, because the crowd's always really, really good. The thing that made it tough was that it was a hometown show. Yeah. So, so you got to worry about it. long as your arm, and I'm trying to make sure everybody's cool, everybody's in, everybody's got a beer and is good, I'm trying to be a host or whatever, and I look at my watch, I'm like, we're on in like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. I gotta go change and play. So, you know, in that sense, there wasn't really a lot of time to kind of get, you know, uh, you know, nerved up. But I mean, uh, so you just kind of go out there and, and make the best of it. Yeah. You know, and it, it was, I mean, the crowd was great. It's funny you mention that, because I, I can't tell you in, in doing what I do how many artists I've you know have come across when they mention hometown shows, and it's kind of like, you know, I wish we were playing the next town over, you know, that kind of thing, because it is, right. you, know, you don't realize all the, the the BS that goes along with you know, cousin Joey needs tickets and passes and things like that. So certainly, totally. I mean, it really, it totally, it is what it is, you know, and and uh, you know. You develop, you realize you develop a lot of friends along the way. And I have a lot of people that, you know, have done things for me and are, you know, I consider really close. And uh, I want to take care of them, too, you know. Yeah. Now, looking at the, 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 you know, when you kind of do a live album, you know, I I think of that as sort of a time capsule, you know, whether you want to think of it or not as the greatest hits, but a lot of times albums, live albums, especially, you know, from the days of Kiss and Peter Frampton, seem to be a great snapshot about what a band is. And, And looking at this, do you kind of, are you surprised at the longevity of the band and, and the you know the evolution of the sound of the band over the years? Yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean, look, you know, I mean, we we just finished our our, our record contract with well, we signed with Electra to begin with, which kind of mm-hmm. merged into Atlantic mm-hmm. Records ago. And you know, I remember sitting in our attorney's office, you know, in '98, and you know, saying, you know, reading the contract, you know, six records. I mean, that seems like an obvious. She's like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, nobody ever gets here. And if you do, you know, just be thankful because, uh, you know, nobody makes it that far. And, you know, I mean, we did. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's, that's, it's definitely pretty cool. still being able to go out. And, I mean, I, I, I look forward to the, you know, the Upward Tour. There's a lot of great bands on it. And, and to be able to be a part of that, you know, uh, to be able to, you know, still have a song on number one at Rock Radio, you know, after yeah. 12 I mean, it's you know, it's it's definitely you know, um, it's it's great. 
It really is. I mean, the business has totally changed from where it was and become a lot more difficult. Um, but what hasn't? You know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm playing guitar for a living, so yeah. how much can I complain? Yeah, I mean, when you look at, I mean, one of the things that, that kind of struck me, you know, in doing some of the research to speak with you, is just the sheer album sales and album sales really post-Napster. I mean, you're one of the few bands, you know, you take away the Adele's of the world that are going to, you know, have this huge instant success. Um, you're one of the few bands that, you know, are forging, you know, platinum albums and, you know, successful tour album after album. And that it doesn't seem to happen anymore. Even a lot of your, uh, call them peers of that era have kind of gone by the wayside or, you know, broken up and gotten back together. I mean, there's got to be some sure. some pride in that fact. No, for sure. You know, I mean, that's why also even even making the last record, how difficult it was in losing our drummer. I mean, that was, yeah. you know, that was tough also, you know, because it, it is one of those things. It's like, look, we've been able to, you know, to kind of keep this thing together for so long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> now there's some, there's some change upon us. And, you know, it, it's hard. And, yeah. you know, you just do your best. You write the best records you can. You work as hard as you can. And, uh, you know, try to make the best decisions and move forward. Sure. Now, you mentioned the Uproar Festival obviously starts in, you know, a little over a week now. Um, are, are festivals like that a little more fun or a little less stressful, I should say, as far as touring? Because you're not, you know, carrying the whole load and, and you know, opening acts reporting to you guys, etc. Is it a little bit more fun? I mean, you know, this is really kind of our first first endeavor in in doing this and the, the other one was actually i should say our second because we did uh um we did one in australia at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year and yeah it, it is um uh, but this one you know here in the states i just think it's a great lineup it's a great bill and uh um i would imagine that it, it will be it will be fun i mean i gotta believe it's uh it's probably a little bit easier than Although, I mean, it's also nice to go out and play a headlining set. You can play for an hour and a half. You can play what you want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now we're 45, 50 minutes, whatever it is. You know, you got to kind of, you know, figure yeah. out what you want to do. And, but, I mean, you can also go out there and hit them pretty hard and, you know, be done with it at the end of the day, you know. Yeah. So, um, but I think, I think it should be good. I think the one thing that's good for is the fans. I yeah. think that, you know, a lot of bang for the buck. I mean, there's there's a lot of great fans on the on the bill. So, yeah. um I know myself, I even looked at the Mayhem, and that was just a, a fantastic lineup. You know, yeah. it just it ended. And yeah. uh, I wish I got to see it. Unfortunately, I didn't. So, um, yeah, it was, it was. I would have liked to have. Quite a spectacle. But, yeah, anytime you can, you plunk down your 50 bucks or whatever and walk away saying you saw Slipknot Motorhead, you know, or in this case, you get to see, you know, Stain, Godsmack, P.O.D., Shinedown. I mean, that's. Sure. A tremendous value, and, and you know the upside is you know maybe someone walks in and they've been a, a fan of Godsmack because you know the radio singles for Godsmack might be a little heavier, and they come and hear you guys and well these guys are a little heavier than I thought they were, you know, or you can really kind of yeah yeah no totally. I I mean look we spent our whole first tour uh, touring cycle on dysfunction. I mean I don't think we played any headlining shows. I mean the whole idea was to get in front of as many people as we could and try to win as many fans as we could, mm-hmm. you know, and that was. I, I think that you know, even today, there's there's something to be said for that. I mean, it's yeah. uh, you know, getting in front of people that you don't normally play in front of, you know, gives you an opportunity to, you know, hopefully make a new fan here and there. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So you guys are going to be doing that um, in the fall, and then do you guys uh, plan on going back into to the studio to to work on a follow up or 
is still kind of up in the air at this point. Actually, I mean, at some point, I mean, you know, Aaron has a country, uh, another country record coming out later this year, mm-hmm. and so he's going to be supporting that for a while. So, you know, I'm sure at some point, you know, uh, we will we will be working on on new material. You know, currently, I'm just uh, I'm just writing and uh, you know backlogging ideas and. Uh, and I think we're looking at possibly doing a tour you know, early next year okay. uh, again. Um, but uh, that's really kind of the only thing that's on the books right now because he has uh, a country record coming up. Okay. Well, Mike, I want to cool. thank you for, for coming on the show. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. The X at 105.9 presents Rockstar Energy Drink Uproar Festival featuring Shinedown. Godsmack. Stay. Papa Roach at Manlita's Way. Friday, August 31st. First Niagara Pavilion. The festival opens at 1 p.m. Come early to check out the Jägermeister and Ernie Ball stages featuring POD and more. The Rockstar Energy Drink Uproar Festival. Tickets are on sale now at LiveNation.com or Ticketmaster. All info at RockstarUproar.com. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S, musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. The countdown is on. Rush Clockwork Angels Tour. September 11th, Consol Energy Center, Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, Neil Peart, an evening with Rush. A stunning new show with music from every sector of their career. Tickets are on sale now. Buy at LiveNation.com. All Ticketmaster outlets, the box office are charged by phone. Rush, Clockwork Angels Tour. More at Rush.com. All right, a giant thanks goes out to Mike Mooshock of the band Stain from taking time out of their busy schedule. Again, they'll be here on the 31st with the Monster Energy Drink Uproar Festival, which is kind of the hard rock equivalent to the Mayhem Festival. That'll feature, again, Godsmack, Shine Down, Stained, P.O.D., In This Moment, Fozzie, uh, Adelita's Way, and many, many more. So if you want to head over to ironcityrocks.com, you can keep track of all the shows that are coming to town. Also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. And the same with Twitter, twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. We'll keep you up to date on all the things going on, all the new episodes, all the new shows, all the new tours, all that good stuff. So please join us. Uh, and occasionally we'll give away some tickets to the show, so it doesn't uh, cost you anything to do any of this stuff. You can listen to all the episodes. Joining us next, Jeff Coleman of Chad Smith's Bombastic Meat Bats. Now, uh, Chad Smith, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Chicken Foot drummer. Uh, so right there, you know he's got some different styles. Uh, I don't even want to try to explain what the Bombastic Meat Bats sound like. We're just going to play a track from them, so it'll give you a chance to hear. Uh, the band is made up of Jeff Coleman, Kevin Chown, Ed Roth, and the aforementioned Chad Smith. So we're going to play a track from you right now. Uh, for you right now 
This is called Need Strange from Chad Smith's Bombastic Meat Bats. Oh, 
right, ladies and gentlemen, I have Jeff Coleman of the Bombastic Meatbats on the phone. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm just having my first cup of Java, and uh, yeah, long night and a big day today. So, uh, but I'm 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 up. I'm moving. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, I was um, I was doing some research on on the meatbats, and I was kind of checking things out, and something that struck me interestingly is that um, one of the things I was reading so you guys accidentally formed. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about how you guys did come together? You know, back in, uh, I think it was around 2002, I was working a lot with Glenn Hughes. And uh, we formed a band called Shape 68 that didn't actually see the light of day. Uh, and then I switched over and I started producing his solo record, uh, Songs in the Key of Rock, and playing guitar on that. And, you know, he wanted to have a few guest musicians come in. Billy Sheehan and these guys, this guy, I think Steve I came in for a tune. And and uh, he wanted to get Chad Smith on a tune, and we hadn't met him. And so we both met him at the same time and became good friends with him. And Chad's such a wonderful guy, you know. He's like, sure, man, I love Deep Purple. I want to jam. So we had a, a jam at the, uh, you know, the uh, Anaheim NAMM show. I think they put us between Earth, Wind, and Fire and Tower of Power for our first gig. So uh, wow, that was pretty brutal. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But, you know, Glenn's got the voice, so it doesn't matter. And anyway, you know, he wanted to start doing a few shows, and Chad would guest, and we'd find ourselves at rehearsals with Chad, and and we just started jamming together, you know, waiting for Glenn to show up, because singers are notoriously late, and they're a whole different breed, right? So you got me and Ed Roth and Chad just kind of noodling around, and... uh you know, Chad's like, Let's, we should do something with this. This is really cool, because it's kind of a throwback to... You know, a 70s, I don't want to say fusion era, but, you know, kind of Billy Preston meets Jeff Beck, sort of, you know, oh, well, I'm like the Diet Coke of Jeff Beck. <laughs> See? Um, you know, and that was kind of a thing where it, that's where it spawned from. So fast forward, you know, to 2007, we actually, the first session we booked, we decided we're going to go in the studio and we're just going to improvise for three days and we'll write the record on the fly, you know. And I had like four or five ideas kicking around that I would bring in because I like to be compositional. I don't want to just jam on a chord and blow, you know, like some, yeah. you know, I, it just, I like it to be sort of compositional. And um, the funny thing is, is the fourth member to enter the band is part of the story. So it's, you know, it's all in one long answer. But um we thought, who are we going to get on bass? So Ed, the keyboard player, says, you know, how about my old buddy Phil Chen? You know, Phil played with Jeff Beck, and his credits are enormous from the 70s, and I'm sure you're familiar with Phil Chen on bass. Funny thing was, is we booked the studio session. We're setting up. Chad set up his kit. There's no Phil Chen showing up. So apparently he got a call from Ray Manzarek from uh, The Doors to do that thing, and he just never called us. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. You know, Chad's like, well, what are we going to do today? I mean, we, you know, we're all set up, and uh, the phone rings at the studio, mutual friend of the producer. It ends up being my old bass player, Kevin Chown from Detroit. Get on the phone, I'm like, Kevin, what are you doing right now? He's like, I'm eating a sandwich. Well, what do you, well how about after the sandwich? Okay, <laughs> get your ass over here. And we recorded two tracks for the first record before Chad ever even left the drum room. He has headphones on, Kevin walks in with his bass rig. They kind of wave high through the glass. We talk about what we're doing in the arrangement. 
And that was the formation of the Meat Bats. So he was, wow. uh, you know, the last one to join in just by calling the studio at the right time. Yeah. So, uh, awesome. yeah. So, you know, basically it was kind of born out of Glenn Hughes and then, uh, and then you know, some old uh, Detroit connections. And the interesting thing is that three-fourths of the Meat Bats all lived, grew up 60 miles away from each other. You know, Chad's no in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. I'm from south of Detroit, which is Toledo, Ohio. And Kevin went to Wayne State University. So, you know, I think your roots are important in, in the way that people respond and act to each other. And, you know, we're all Midwest guys. There's no yeah. bullshit, no egos. You know, and in Los Angeles, California, I've played with so many people where you have a jam and you go, oh, yeah, let's do something with this man. Yeah, bro, hey. And you never hear from him again. <laughs> <laughs> so Chad, you know, being a you know a famous rock star since 1987, it's like, you know, he says what he means, and it's cool. And this band is just, nice. we do what we want, and we don't even discuss what it is that we're doing. We just play because we like to hang out together. And I find it interesting that you made that last statement because, like me, you know, being a musician and listening to this record, like it's the two things are very evident to me. Um, one, you guys are all insanely talented musicians. Like there, there's a lot of just great musicianship and ability there. But the other thing is that, like, you get the sense that you guys are just playing the music that you want to play. Like, because I mean, if you look at the resume for for all of you, you guys, all have like all these other artists you played. You all can play all kinds of styles, and you play it all great. But I hear like this just sounds like that. Hey. You know, when when nobody's watching, when we're just hanging out, this is the music that we want to make. Right. You know, the the beauty of the the arrangements of the songs is that there's the melody is king, and we try to find a nice groove. And you know, Chad always supplies the 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 intangible funk groove that he's known for. But melody and you know composition are king. But there's room to stretch and take it in all these directions. So we never played the song the same way twice. and I mean, on the live recording, it had to be a double live uh, disc because, you know, we go off on these tangents. It's a tune called Into the Floyd. It starts out as kind of a Pink Floyd-esque, you know, uh, a homage, if you will, to, uh, you know, their vibe and mood with two chords. But by the end of the song, it, it sounds like a, you know, old Lyde Zeppelin kind of jam. So you just never know. And uh, that's why it always feels fresh when we play. Now, where did you guys record um, the, the live meat and potatoes disc? That was recorded at the world-famous baked potato. It's like playing in mom's, <laughs> mom's basement back in, back in the Midwest. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's infamous. And uh, I grew up, you know, I had Larry Carlton live last night, you know, from the baked potato and, you know, Michael Landau and all these, Steve Lukather, and, you know, the list is endless, right? Because it's owned by yeah. Don Randy, who was part of the Wrecking Crew, and... Uh, if you don't know who the Wrecking Crew is, then listeners, you better do your homework, right? <laughs> He's the most recorded guys in history. So, yeah, it's a little club, um, North Hollywood, and uh, it's kind of our little home there. So we bought in uh, Bob Bradshaw. He's kind of the famous guitar you know, tech to the stars, and he builds all the wonderful rigs and all that. And He's you know, a genius. So uh, he brought in a whole mobile rig, and uh, that's how we cut the show. Just two nights. And yeah. Actually, I think we did three nights because he lost the first set from the first night. <laughs> so Aww. we ended up calling him Back It Up Bob because he forgot to back <laughs> up the hard drive. It's funny, in this band, everybody has a nickname, even the 
you know, some of our fans and the song titles end up being, you know, something based on an inside joke of, you know, some girl from Japan or God knows what. Nice. You nice. Know, it's all good laughs. Well, I tell you, the sound that you guys got um, on, on that record, like, I think, think you guys did an amazing job of capturing just like that live ambiance because there, there's, you know, there's, there's such a feel when you see a band live versus when you listen to, to a studio record and you, you either hit it or you don't when you record that, you know, and I think you yeah. guys really captured that. And I mean, and the sound was really good for, for being a live recording because, you know, those are always hit and miss. Yeah. You know, I should give props to uh, Ryan Hewitt. He's uh, Rick Rubin's kind of right-hand man and he's worked with the Peppers for years as an engineer and you know, he's really making a name for himself. He came in and mixed the whole record, and he really, like, doubled the the vibe and the sound quality and the, the whole thing, you know, just came together. And So awesome. Ryan's a genius. Hey, so let's talk gear a little bit here for you as a guitarist. So what's, what's your uh, rig like when you go out for a Meat Bats show? Um, typically, I use a 65 Twin with a Marshall 412 cabinet with Greenback Celestians. So I've got the, the pot, clean power of the twin, yeah. but then I've got the, you know, the tight Marshall thing going on with the cab. And then I use pedals in front of it to create the recipe I want. And I can get it almost as mean as Eddie Van Halen, but I've got like all the, you know, the sweet sounds and Larry Carlton and the clean and the Stevie Ray and all these kind of things are happening in there. And, you know, so it works really good as a palette to create sounds and the twin is just really clean and powerful so i remember richie Cotson came to our gig and he walked up to me and he introduced himself and, and he's like how are you getting that sound with a twin you know so i think people have this stereotype that it's just used for country music yeah but that's the main you know i have a lot of different rigs sometimes i'll bring a, a marshall or a jubilee or i have this old marshall modded bogner that i kind of you know, underhandedly bought from a studio that George Lynch owed money to. <laughs> Wait, I have to say that he's going to be calling me for his amp back. But it's it's a it's a the amp has turned into a thing because uh, turned out Reinhold only made three of them back in the day, and I have one of them. And oh, wow. but you know, I guard it with my life. It's really a one of a kind monstrosity. So, um, what, what kind of pedals then are, are you using for for the, for the colors? Because I heard a lot of wah, and I heard some some really nice smooth overdrive tones. So, yeah, so what, yeah, what kind of wah, that? Actually, Bob Bradshaw kindly brought me his custom audio wah pedal that he has uh, wow. with Dunlop, and um, so that was sweet. I think also I used the uh, Real McCoy Wizard wah, which I love because I always have this I always have this wah pedal fetish where I'll go see a guitar player. It's like, how come everybody's wah sounds better than mine? <laughs> go see Robin Ford, and I'm looking down at his foot, and I'm going, God, it sounds so beautiful and musical. Granted, it's Robin Ford. So, I, you know, I look up Michael Landau. What does Mike use? Because he's the greatest tone meister in, you know, recent history. Okay, the wizard wah, great, done. Um, as far as overdrives, I like this company called D3 Audio Designs out of Japan. Uh-huh. And I think this stuff isn't really marketed here because the parts are so expensive. You know, nobody wants to go out and spend three, four hundred dollars on an overdrive pedal. But um, they kindly give them to me, and I've got like three different pedals on my board by them that I use. One just kind of takes a clean sound and turns it to like a an early Joe Perry sound. You know, not too over the top, kind of sleazy tone. It's great. You know, 
I use like a little old uh, OC2 Boss Octave pedal. Um, one one cool pedal that I've got uh, is the uh, EX7 Digitech, which I always thought, you know, Digitech might not compare to some other stuff that uh, in the last five, six years they're making genius pedals. And they have this pedal that gets the most wonderful kind of like mixture of a univibe and a Leslie sound and I can control the tempo of the of the speed with my foot and uh, I just absolutely love it so you'll hear that sound a lot on the record where it sounds kind of like a, a Leslie meets uh you know that kind of thing well between you and Ed the uh, the sounds on that record are phenomenal there were a couple times where Ed's, Ed's tone was so so smooth and affected I'm like wait a second is that guitar uh, like you, like you guys just trading back and forth with some of the lines you guys were doing. It just those sounds were amazing. Yeah, I love Ed, man. He's so his pocket is so deep, and I always say his clock stopped at 1975. You know, he's like it's like a throwback in time because it's like you know the B3, the Leslie, the Wurlitzer, the Rhodes, the Clavinet. It's like you know all these like 80s keyboard sounds. You know, they just get outdated. Even the genius of Prince. When I listen to Prince now, even though he's, you know, considered a musical genius, the music doesn't age well. It sounds dated, where like yeah. Michael Jackson um, production doesn't with Quincy Jones. It's like the leather jacket's always going to look cool, but the stonewashed jeans, eh, not so much. So, uh, you know, Ed Roth, it's like he knows that the the great shit is like the, you know, the Whirly and the, and the Leslie. We're always going to love the sound of a, you know, a 74 suitcase Rhodes yeah. You know, and it takes you back to, like, Led Zeppelin, and, man, it's never going to get old. Yeah, I love those sounds. Now, so it always, you know, it always comes, yeah, yeah. It always, sorry about that, it always comes down to those things. That's why I play, you know, Fender Strats, because it just, these boutique guitar companies, it's not going to get the same sound, you know, it's not going to sound uh, timeless. I and I'm John, and, yeah. and <laughs> quid, quo, quid pro quo. <laughs> Yeah, my my money's always on the Strat because those are great sounding guitars. You know, no, no matter when you pick them up, no matter which blow you're into, there, there's always that toe you can rely on it. You know? Yeah. And you know what? You have to fight it a little harder. Sometimes these guitars yeah. they play too easy. Somebody hands me a Sir, and the action's way down at the fretboard, and you know you've got this short scale and 24 frets, and the trim stays in tune, and and you start sounding like a widdly woo bad fusion player. You know? It's yeah. like, man, I want to fight this thing a little bit and get some attitude and force myself to make my fingers bleed a little bit to get, you know, that's the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing, man. I, you you have me smiling so 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 big right now on the other side of this phone because <laughs> that's that's how I've always approached. Like I play a P bass and I've played all these other other basses, but I always come back to the P bass because I want to fight with it just a little. You know, it doesn't yeah, right, have to be a lot, but but you get something out of it that way, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, on this record, um, you guys did a cover of Moby Dick. Yeah. And so when I first started listening to it, it's a slower tempo than, than what I'm used to with the original. And at first I'm like, oh, come on. They slowed it down. And then the more you guys go on and on, I, like, I didn't want the track to end. So how did how did how that come about? Why did you guys decide to do that? Why did you decide to slow it down like that? Yeah, well, you know what's funny is that happened out of a jam at rehearsal, and I don't think we'd played it live. And when Chad started, he just went into the groove, and you'll hear him audibly saying, come on, come on, Dick, let's do it, you know, like egging the guys on, like, come on, we could play this, we know this. It wasn't in the set list. And that's awesome. genius, because you hear that vibe, that live energy of, you know, we're, we're just heading here, and this is what we're doing. And uh, 
it started out with him just playing a groove, and Ed, you know, he comes in with that funky D, you know, that, that uh, clavinet thing, man. It's like that's you could sit on that groove all day long, not even coming to the tune. So, you know, it's all based on that foundation. <clears throat> My voice is yeah. all cracking at 9 a.m. You get <laughs> you get a great drummer and a fat pocket. That's why every Zeppelin tune just feels good. It's John Bonham, you know. It's not like I, you're... I agree. It, it it all starts with a solid drummer. If the drummer, yep. uh, I've said this before, if the drummer sucks, the band sucks. Yep. You know. And uh, Chad, he's he's one of the greatest. He's kind of like, you know. Bonham has that thing, and Chad would never want me to ever compare him to John Bonham because that's his favorite drummer. And he certainly didn't want to like blow a long drum solo to try to like show up John Bonham because there is no showing up John Bonham. It's like more of a paying tribute. But yeah. Chad kind of he has a certain intangible funk groove, like Bonham had that certain intangible dirgy, fat, you know, laid back snare. You know, you know it's Chad when you hear it. You know it's yeah. Bonham when you hear it, and you knew it was Keith Moon when you heard it, you know. And so the other three guys, man, we're really lucky to have him in the group because, uh, you know, I don't care that he's the guy from the Chili Peppers, you know. We we know famous people all day long, right? That, that stuff doesn't yeah. matter. It, what matters is does the groove feel good, you know? Does this feel right? Is the music honest? And, uh, you know, and do you enjoy each other's company? So that's you know that's what it's all about, and I think bands yeah. need to think about that once they get in this whole okay we got to get on the radio okay commercial oh what's what's hot right now oh let's see let's get the Lincoln Park sound with the blah 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 with the this and the that <laughs> and it's all bullshit you know yeah it ends up being like by the time they get their little record out that shit's there's like you know two fads have gone by and uh, you know when it's real. Unfortunately, yeah. with the way the business is these days, it's more and more the copycat, you know, and just kind of, you know, producers, or I would say more like, um, you know, glorified engineers trying to take an artist that isn't really ready and, you know, write songs around them and market them and promote them. And, and he's not quite a great songwriter and they're not quite there as an artist. And it's just, you know, it's not happening. It's not like the the relationship between... You know, the Beatles and George Martin as songwriters or Freddie Mercury and, you know, Roy Thomas Baker, you know. Now you've got like six guys all like wrenching on one song for Rihanna so they can, uh, you know, all get the little piece of the pie and, you know, it's all like a fashion bullshit statement. And fix it all in Pro Tools. Yeah. Am I going off on a tangent? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, that's the answer to why isn't music as good these days? And you know what? I think there is music that is good these days. The problem is we've got to figure out how to find it in somebody's exactly. garage or, you know. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the Internet has been such a great distribution uh, channel for music, but at the same time, now it's so overloaded. It's like, how do I filter through all of it? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's an exciting time, you know. You can, I was uh, at the studio with... Um, uh, John Payne, who is a you know a singer in the in the group Asia, and uh, he had me doing a nylon string intro. This was two days ago, and I didn't know he was filming me with his little iPhone. Next thing you know, he posted up on Facebook. Like you know, thirty seconds later, there's like two hundred views. That wouldn't happen. How would anything like that happen back in the day? Yeah, like you, I know. Just, you can capture a moment. I think you know it's good and bad because people get really self indulgent and they 
instead of focusing on whatever they're supposed to be doing, they're getting sucked into the old uh, World Wide Web. So there's days where I just literally go, okay, phone's off, my computer's off. Unfortunately, you know, you record with your computer, right? So it's right there. You get an email that comes in. It's like, ah. So um, you know. I'm so with you. I am so with you. All right. Well, hey, Jeff, I won't take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's been a great time talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. All right. That about wraps up our show again. Thank you to Jeff Coleman of Chad Smith's Bombastic Meat Bats. Uh, no Pittsburgh concert date announced uh, for the band. I don't know exactly what their touring plans are going to be into the fall, but uh, if they come this way, we will be sure to let you know. Again, I mentioned earlier in the show, Facebook, Twitter, uh, ironcityrocks.com. Uh, if you have a band interested in being on the show, ironcityrocks at gmail dot com. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. If you hear something you like, hear something you hate, let us know. Also, uh, iTunes, you can go and check out Iron City Rocks. Subscribe. You can subscribe with the new podcast app on your iOS device. Uh, give us some feedback. That would really help us. That's about the highest form of flattery we can get because it helps other people find the show as well. Um, and it, uh, you know, really just helps us grow what we're doing. Uh, we don't make any money. We have a heck of a good time doing it. So uh, we'd be doing it if no one listened. But it's great. The more people that do it helps us bring us bring you better content. Uh, we've got some really cool guests coming up in future episodes. Don't want to spoil anything by giving away any names, uh, but I think you're going to like it. So again, if you're interested in hard rock, heavy metal, blues, rock, classic rock. Whatever you want to call it, if it rocks, we're covering it. So Iron City Rocks, until next time, we want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Take care.